got like three of the six verses. Uh, and so I didn't know it. And so the next morning, I just felt the Lord leading me into that psalm. And I decided to spend the entire day just slowly meditating over that psalm. So starting with the Lord and just spending an hour on the Lord. Who is this Lord that this writer is talking about? And you don't have to go far into the context of Psalm 23. Psalm 22 talks about this Lord being the one who's responsible for me coming into existence. And then Psalm 24 talks about this Lord being the one who's responsible for making everything that we see, creating everything that we know and can touch and experience. This all came from this Lord. So this is a God who is above everything and reigns over everything and called everything, including me, into being. And this Lord is my shepherd. So what does that mean? What would it be like to just spend some time meditating on the idea that this Lord, this omnipotent, apparently, Lord, is also my shepherd. Not just a shepherd who's far off, my shepherd. And what are the implications of not wanting? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I remember trying that morning, as I, as I got to that part, I, I was just trying to think, okay, what would it be like to not want anything? I wonder how long I could go in, in meditating on this without wanting anything. And so I just sat there and thought, okay, I am going to meditate on God and all that I have in him and how all of my needs have been met by him. And I think I made it a minute before I found my mind drifting into things that I wanted. A minute. How long could you go, if you set your mind to it, to just uh, be in gratitude before God for all that he's given you and all the needs that he's met before your own heart started wanting. So for the last two months, I have just slowly worked my way through this psalm, and I have uh, tried, not perfectly, but tried to begin every morning with reciting it before my feet hit the ground, and I would commend that practice to you. It's been rich for me. I was uh, just reading a book, and the author said, what if instead of focusing on reading the Bible through in a year, you read a passage of the Bible for a year? And I thought, I'm going to do that with Psalm 23. And I'm just going to spend the rest of this year, into next April, just really meditating on Psalm 23. And I have a half hour, and I don't even have a half hour left. And so we're not going to get all the way through Psalm 23. We're not going to be able to get into all of the rich imagery that's in Psalm 23. I mean, I could preach a 25-minute sermon on what it means for God to make us lie down in green pastures, because that's rich. And I could preach a 25-minute sermon on what it means for God to restore my soul as my shepherd. And so we're not this morning going to get into all of the imagery. I'm going to give you an overview of Psalm 23 and then turn you loose to go soak in Psalm 23 and meditate on Psalm 23. And I promise you, God will reward your meditation. I promise. So this morning, I just want to simply look at three things. Give me a second here. I'm going to make sure that my phone 
keeps track of the time for me. All right. I want to focus on three things that we see of God here as our shepherd. And the first one isn't really one of my points. I think it goes without saying, and that is we all want a shepherd. We all want a shepherd, every one of us. Even here in America, where today we're celebrating our independence and our lack of a need for a king, we're independent. I think there's been very few things in American history that have done more damage to the idea of Christianity than our independence. It is a toxic lie that you are independent. You are not independent. You were not created to be independent, and you never will be independent. And you should pray that God allows you to see your need for your brothers and sisters in Christ and your need for a shepherd. You are not the good shepherd. If your soul is entrusted to your care, you are without hope. You need a good shepherd. And we all want this. We all want this even though we're not agricultural. (laughs) I've never had a farm. I've never had a sheep. And I've never been a shepherd. But I want a good shepherd. And you do too. And we all have them, we think. Everybody in society has someone or something that they are swearing their allegiance to and allowing to shepherd them. You are being shepherded whether you realize it or not. And throughout biblical history, there are these three major categories of false gods who promise to shepherd people, and the people of God are frequently drawn after them. The God of money the God of power, and the God of sex, all three of these promise to be your shepherds. And if you'll read the biblical narrative, you will see that everyone who puts their trust and hope in these false shepherds dies. They lead them to death. That's it. That's all they're offering. And yet people are turning to them left and right to save them and to shepherd their souls. We all want shepherds And we can easily be deceived into believing a false shepherd. So how do we spot or detect a good shepherd? How do we do it? There's three things that we look for in a good shepherd. First, God, as a good shepherd, provides for his flock. Scripture says, my God will supply all of your needs. Jesus said, my Father in heaven delights to give good gifts to his children. He delights to meet your needs before you even ask for him. He's, before you even ask for them, he's that good. So this shepherd, the psalmist says, because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. This is the mark of a good shepherd. He supplies your needs. A good spiritual inventory for us as sheep. And if you don't think you're a sheep, just read scripture because over and over and over again, the Bible will say you are sheep. In fact, God created a lot of things just as pictures of himself or us. And sheep seem to be one of those things. He created them to thrive in a flock and not be independent. He created them to need the guidance of a shepherd and on and on and on. He created them for sacrifice and all of the imagery that comes out of that. And we are sheep. We are sheep. 
So where do you turn? This is just spiritual inventory. When you need something. When you need something. This book that some of us are reading together, Hearing from God by Dallas Willard, uh, I think that's the title of the book. I actually, is it the title of the book? <laughs> Hearing God, yes. Hearing God. He asks the question, what do you do, what's the first thing you do when your car breaks down? What's the first thing you do? The first thing I do is I start calling shops <laughs> or I go looking for a new car. What did you say? Car shield. I call experts. I start by doing it as cheaply as possible by calling people I know who know something about cars. I know nothing about cars. I know bearings are in there somewhere, but I don't know anything else about cars. And so I start making phone calls to all of the experts, and then I start scheduling appointments with a shop to see how soon I can get my car in there to get it fixed. I almost never pray because I don't see it as a spiritual reality. This is something with metal and oil that you need to make sure you put in the right place. It's not a spiritual thing for me. And the point the author is trying to make is everything is spiritual. Everything is. So where do you turn when you have a need? Where do you turn? Where's the first place you turn when you have a health need? Where's the first place you turn when you're afraid or when your kid needs something? Where do you turn? Where do you turn? The good shepherd will meet your needs, will provide for you, will take care for you, take care of you, and the false shepherds will promise that they will, but they will not. So if, for example, you turn to money to save you in your times of need, your money will eventually let you down and cut and run because it is a false shepherd. If you turn to power, and you might think, well, I don't turn to political power for hope, and that may be true for you, but if you turn to control, do you try to control your circumstances when they start going the way that you didn't want them to go? Do you try to grab on and control it and force it to turn out the way you want it to? That's the shepherd of power, and that shepherd will let you down, and it will destroy you because it's a false shepherd. Jesus said the false shepherds came in to steal, kill, and destroy, but the good shepherd has come that you might have life. So false shepherds will always let you down. Where do you turn? Where do you turn? In our community group, we have a dear sister, Alicia, who is here today and gave me permission to share this story and specifically asked me to share this story so that some of us might gather around her at the end of the, around her at the, end of the service and pray over her. She said, I came here today to have people pray over me. So I'm going to invite you to do that at the end of the service. But Alicia's daughter, Cody, was looking for a shepherd. She was looking for a shepherd. And she found the promises of provision and protection of a shepherd in gangs. They promised her, we'll take care of you. And these men abused her, victimized her, and then they committed a crime, and because they got a sweetheart deal, they left her out to dry and pointed their fingers at her and accused her of this crime. So she pleaded not guilty and was given a, a great plea deal. If you will just point out everybody who was involved, we'll let you go. But the gangs don't operate that way. If you cooperate with that plea deal, they'll go after your family. And she knew that. 
And the prosecutor said, it's either that or we're going to rack up all of these different counts that were involved in this crime, and you're looking at life and beyond in prison. More than a life sentence. The crime was a drive-by shooting. Nobody was injured. And she was looking at life in prison. I want you to think about that. In our justice system today, nobody was killed and she was looking at life in prison. And Derek Chauvin murdered a man on camera and got 22 years. The shepherds that she turned to forsook her, forsook her, and got a deal, and she was looking at life. And so we were honored to go to court with Alicia over this past week and just see how everything was stacked against Cody. Everything was stacked the prosecution was using witnesses who were showing up in the courtroom high to give testimony and point their finger at Cody and say she's the one that did it. And the testimony of ex-boyfriends who said in court that they could care less about her. They could care less about her, only not on those terms. Just admitting that this is just somebody to objectify and toss aside. And so three or four days into the process, the prosecuting attorney came and said, I will make a deal with you. If you will say that you did this, we will reduce the charges to 25 years. And Cody was looking at life and never seeing her children again or getting out in 25 years. What do you do? What would you do in a system that's so stacked against you? There's no shepherd for her. Her shepherds ran. In fact, her shepherds were threatening her through the process. So she took the deal. She took the deal. She didn't join a gang because she wanted the money. She didn't join a gang for the prestige. In fact, none of the kids in our neighborhoods join gangs for those reasons. They don't join the gangs primarily for the way they are glamorized in music. That's not why they join them. They join gangs because they're looking for a shepherd. And it's the same thing that we're all looking for and we're all wanting. So how do you know a good one? A good one provides. A good one provides. And be careful because a false one won't. Secondly, a good shepherd protects. A good shepherd protects. He leads me in paths of righteousness. That can also be translated, he leads me in the right paths for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You will lead me down all the right paths, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know the difficulty of green pastures? is to sheep. They often look like anything but green pastures, and we often want anything but those green pastures. Look at the pandemic. To spend three weeks processing it here at Providence and realize that I was in a green pasture. I was in a space where God was forcing me to lay down and stay still and be with him, and I just wanted to get out. 
I just wanted to get out. Green pastures don't always look like it, and the right path doesn't always look like the right path. In fact, it often looks like it's the wrong path. And what do you do in the spiritual inventory when you think you're on the wrong path? When you've been following God and you think God just took a wrong turn, where do you turn? Where do you turn? It might be some of the same shepherds that you turn to when you have needs or wants or desires. Where do you turn? A good shepherd will protect you in the valley of the shadow of death. Even when it feels like you're going to die, your good shepherd will be right there as a resource protecting you. This David who wrote this was a shepherd. And he knew what it was like to put his life in front of sheep. I've never had sheep, but I have dogs. I would not put my life in front of dogs. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. If, some, if, a, if a bear was coming after my dogs, I'd be like, I paid good money for you. You are saving my life. This is an investment. I'd run. <laughs> I wouldn't lay my life down, but David multiple times laid his life down for his sheep, fought off a lion and a bear with a sling and a stick, That's what David did. David understood that a good shepherd will protect his sheep in the valley of the shadow of death. And he knew from firsthand experience that his shepherd would do the same. His shepherd would protect him in the caves when he was running for his life. When his own son was trying to kill him, his shepherd would protect him. He knew that. He knew that. And your shepherd will too. There is good news for you. These false shepherds that we find ourselves turning to will cut and run. They'll make the deal. They'll plead out so that you spend life behind bars. But your good shepherd never will. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never do it. That's your shepherd, even in the valley of the shadow of death. So the right path can lead you right through the valley of the shadow of death, and you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because you have a good shepherd. Who cares? Who cares? And even in that process, he's restoring your soul. Lastly, the metaphor here switches, and I didn't understand that about Psalm 23 for my entire life until I started meditating on it and reading about it. And I always got confused by the end because it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I'm like, okay, so I'm a sheep, but now I'm at a table eating something Why is this good news? Why would a sheep ever want this? And I'm just a little slow. It's a a shift in the metaphor. (laughs) It's not that difficult. The metaphor shifted. And David moves from a shepherd to a host. You have a host who is right now preparing a meal for you, a table for you in the presence of your enemies. So even now, if you're Cody and you're facing years in prison, you have a host who even in that circumstance can prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies and dine with you and fellowship with you. And years from now, when Cody comes out, if she looks back at this experience and says, this is where I met my shepherd and I fell in love with my shepherd, she can look back at it and magnify it as a green pasture. 
In fact, many saints throughout the years, all of the heroes of the faith, look back at the suffering in their lives and say, this was a green pasture. This is where my shepherd restored my soul. I thought it was the valley of the shadow of death. I thought for sure I was going to die, but this was the right path. Do you have experiences like that in your life that God has led you through where going in, you wanted to go any other way and coming out, you said, I have a good shepherd. I have a good shepherd. On the other side of this valley that you might be facing, there is a feast waiting for you and your host is excited for you to get there and he is going to fill your cup to overflowing. He's going to anoint your head with oil as though you are his favorite child and for all of your days and into eternity, nothing but goodness and mercy will follow you. And you will dwell with this host in this house forever. Those other shepherds aren't offering that. The things, the thrills, the happiness, the contentment that they're offering you is a blink. It'll last for maybe a blink. I heard somebody say, they say money doesn't buy happiness, but it sure can buy a lot of things that would make me happy. <laughs> money can buy some happiness for a little while. But scripture warns almost more than anything else that money can also kill and destroy you. Money's not a good shepherd. Power is not a good shepherd. Control is not a good shepherd because it will show you your limitations. All it will do is show you your limitations because you were created by God not to be God. So give up hope <laughs> in power. Give up your hope in politics. Give up your hope in military might. These things aren't going to save you. Give up your hope in your ability to control your circumstances and just get everything to work out your way. Just give that up because it's only going to lead to death. It's not going to prepare a table for you. It's not going to anoint you. It's going to bail when the going gets hard. Sex. Another one of the famous false demigods that scripture holds up that has led the people of God astray from generation to generation will not satisfy. And it says that it will. It comes to you and promises that it will. But illicit sex will not satisfy. It won't. Pornography will not satisfy. That affair will not satisfy. Even if it seems like it might, it is a false shepherd whose aim is to devour you. That's another thing that Jesus said. These false shepherds are just in it for the mutton. That's what they want. They want to eat you. And it will. It'll eat you alive. Turn. Turn to your shepherd. Run to this host who is just waiting for you. Jesus said, if I'm, I'm right here, I'm right here at the door of your life, and I'm just waiting for you to let me come in. And when you come in, we will eat together. We all want a shepherd, and we all want a host like that. But there's something here that could leave us wanting more. Because how do we know that this shepherd is really, really good? I mean... 
He was good to this guy who wrote this psalm thousands of years ago, apparently. But what do I have to show me that this shepherd understands me and my needs and my wants and is going to look out for me? What's to show me that this shepherd is still in business after all of these years? Well, this shepherd became a sheep. He became a sheep. If you've ever watched anything, this is a really bad comparison, but just go with me through it. If you've ever watched anything about the dog whisperer, anybody know who the dog whisperer is? Caesar, right? This is a guy who understands how dogs work, right? And when, I don't know about you, but when I watch him, I'm amazed at the empathy he has for these stupid dogs. <laughs> we have dogs, and they are stupid. And owners will bring their dogs to Caesar and say, I just, I don't know, I just can't get him, stop him from eating rocks, and it's going to kill him. So how do I get my dog to stop eating rocks? And Caesar's like, well, what do you think your dog really wants? What do you think your dog really needs? What's he trying to, your dog's trying to communicate to you. And the owner's like, I don't know. I paid $50 to adopt it. I don't, I don't think it needs anything. I just need it to stop eating rocks. And Caesar will go on this journey of empathy with the owner and the dog, helping the dog owner empathize with the dog. And then miraculously, by the end of the episode, the dog stops eating rocks. That would, I promise that would not work with our dogs. I promise. Caesar would be like, what is your, never mind. Never mind, your dog is done. <laughs> there is something to it. Caesar has spent his life learning how dogs operate. I won't say think. How they operate. <laughs> yeah, I will. He, is, he has figured out a lot of things. And so when he says, what does your dog really want? What is your dog feeling in this moment? He's being genuine. Now, if you could just multiply that by a million, Okay. When we are looking for a leader, we want a leader like that, don't we? When we're looking for a leader, we want a leader who can look at us with empathy and understand what we need and understand what we're going through. And I don't care who the leader is. You want your boss to empathize with you, right? You want your boss to have been laid off maybe at some point in his life so he understands how much your job matters to you, right? You want your parents, since I've got at least one teenager, two in the room, to empathize with you. But they can't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you want your parents to know what it's like to do some of the things that you've done, right? Because if they could just empathize, maybe there would be some compassion. And you want that from your shepherd. And your shepherd could say from this psalm, I created you and that's enough. That's all, I don't owe you anything, but that's not what this shepherd did. This shepherd said, I will become one of you. I will come and experience life in this flock. And he did. He did. He was born the son of, his, of an Israelite carpenter into poverty, from infinite wealth into poverty to experience what we experience. And Hebrews says, to know all of the things that we're tempted with and to understand those temptations so that he might be compassionate with us. That's what we want. That's what we want. When was the last time you felt compassion from your money? When was the last time you felt compassion from a president? 
you need this kind of shepherd. And Jesus came and he followed this psalm. In fact, in a, little, in a few weeks, we're going to go through all the I am statements that Jesus made. And one of them I get to preach on, which is when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus had these six verses memorized, and they showed up all throughout his teaching. All throughout. He came. He lived. And he trusted God as his good shepherd. And he ate in the green pastures. And he walked by the still waters. And he constantly had his soul restored. But did he ever know fear? I mean, he's not afraid of hurricanes on the ocean, right? He's not afraid of demon-possessed people who are ripping chains, right? Or, yeah, he's, he's not afraid of disease, leprosy. He's not afraid of it. He's not afraid of the Pharisees. He's not afraid of the biggest empire the world had ever seen, Rome, He's not afraid. So can the shepherd empathize with fear? There was one time when Jesus said he wasn't just afraid. He was afraid to the point of death. Remember that in the garden? So as Jesus was following the right path of his shepherd, it led him to a cross. And as he looked at the cross, at the valley of the shadow of death, he was afraid. He was afraid. What got him through? It was the truth of this psalm. It was the truth of this psalm that got him through. That's what enabled him in his fear to pray, God, let this cup pass from me. Let's go left. Nevertheless, your will be done. Why? Because he knew his father was a good shepherd and he knew he could follow him. And he knew that his father was the best host of any party the world has ever seen. Because Hebrews says it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising its shame. So in that moment, all of Psalm 23 came true for him. In that moment, when he was pressed, that's where he went. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid because you are with me. Your will be done, and I am looking forward to the table that you are preparing for me in the presence of my enemies, where you will anoint me above every name that's ever been named in heaven or on earth or things under the earth. You will anoint me, and I'm looking forward to that when you reunite me with all of my brothers and sisters that I have bought with this sacrifice. That day will make this day worth it. That's how Jesus responded to suffering and difficulty. He looked beyond it. He looked through the valley of the shadow of death, which was culminating in his death. We often think as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's just, I'm just going through it and it's not really going to kill me. It killed him. And he looked past that to the glory, the joy that was set before him and despised the shame of the cross. Your shepherd is that good. The same shepherd who walked with Christ through all of that and delivered him at the end of it is your shepherd, and he is good. So go to him. Go to him. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would take your word and seal it in our hearts. I pray that you would take these six verses and awaken more faith in our hearts of just how good and mighty you are. 
Thank you for the promise of this reward. Thank you for being our shepherd. It's in Jesus' name, amen.